Welcome. I'm Jessica Tejan, and this is the Evolving to Exceptional podcast, where we talk about reaching peak performance in our workplaces, homes, and communities so that we can live our best life possible, an exceptional life. Welcome back to the Evolving to Exceptional podcast. Today, we have another guest with us, Ashley Keegan, who works for Electro Savings Credit Union. She is the vice president of people there and has done some just really cool things at her company that I'm really excited for her to share with you all and to talk about how they're combating some of the challenges that that they've faced or that they're experiencing in their workplace. Ashley, I want to give you a chance to kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background, your experience, and why it is you you do what you do. Thanks. Yes. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah. So I am about a 17-year vet in the HR field. I went to college for HR and for business on the business side. And uh, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to get a job in HR right after college, which is kind of hard to do when you don't have any experience. And I, I typically was on the, the banking sector of HR. Throughout the years, I had held various HR positions at other companies, just making my way up the ranks, small companies to large companies. I had an opportunity to get back into the banking sector right after I finished my master's degree. And uh, so I've been at the credit union for for almost 13 years, um, serving in, in their capacity for their running their HR functions, also their compliance and, and our branch network. But Primarily, my work is, is the people of the credit union. And uh, I've been doing that for, like I said, um, 16, 17 years. And I really love it. How big is that is 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 Electro Savings Credit Union? How big is that organization? We're considered a mid-sized credit union. We have a little under 60 employees. And you said you've worked at kind of different size HR functions before. Do you have one that you really like or or what are maybe some of the the things that you like or don't like about bigger versus smaller? Well, the bigger have bigger teams, right? So you have dedicated recruiters, you have dedicated trainers, you have payroll and comp employees. Um, so I like that. Um, but I also enjoy the smaller because you you really get that more generalist feel. You really get to dive in and learn everything about each one of those functions of HR. So although the the bigger comes with its its perks because you 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 have more to spread the work out and, and those to focus on those areas where they're particularly skilled at, um, becoming a, a whole rounded HR professional, I think is most important because you just never know what you're going to encounter on a day-to-day basis. Are you a team of one now at the Electro Savings Credit Union? Is it kind of all up to you when it comes to the people function? No, I'm a team of two. Luckily, uh, I have a, a people services manager, we call her, which would be an HR manager um, who runs the day-to-day operations. Um, and uh, she's been with us for several years and uh, does a great job for us. I'm sure that makes a a big difference in terms of your ability to focus on some of those bigger, bigger challenges or the bigger issues that come in terms of, of organizations and what you face. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about some of the biggest challenges that you've faced or the things that you've experienced maybe in the, over the course of the last year or the last 12 months, what, what have you, you experienced or what have you seen as, as some of the bigger challenges your business has, has faced? 
Right. Well, you know, the pandemic certainly brought, um, you know, multiple different types of changes to our to our workforce, all all one right after the other. So we had to adapt pretty quickly. And with that um, just became changes in the way that people view their work and what's important to them. And um, what I've experienced the most is is seeing burnout, um, you know, motivation. We, we went for a year or two with that war on talent where it was a really competitive marketplace for us to retain employees too. So I think those are the, the top three is just the burnout that, that employees were, were going through because there was so much that was impacting them just outside of work versus inside of work as well, because we were just having to keep up with all the changes that the pandemic was bringing. Um, but then also keeping them motivated and engaged during that time was 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 difficult, especially when we were a, a company that was used to seeing each other face to face. And then overnight, over 50 percent of us, you know, had to go home and start working remotely, um, which ultimately changed the our entire workforce um, forever, because the majority of us now still work from home, um, which is a good thing. Um, for most that do like working at home, but of course that presents its own challenges and how you connect with people virtually versus, you know, how you used to face to face. Um, so I think we've weathered those storms and um, it took a lot of work and, and getting really creative with, you know, the programs that we had, how could we keep certain things alive, knowing that we were doing things virtually now versus doing things in person. And we just really had to shift our focus and our thinking to be able to be successful in keeping the staff engaged and motivated. And I was really proud of the work that we've done to keep the staff um, going during this time. And um, it, it seems to have, like I said, the storm has seemed to weathered, but I really think we're out on the other end of it at this point. But as you know, motivating and engaging is, is an ongoing thing, you know. So. so do you feel like, so you've, you've been kind of maybe struggling throughout the last year with that burnout or those high levels of stress that are coming on the heels of many years, right, of all the experiences we had in the pandemic and going remote. Uh, do you feel like you've moved beyond that or do you feel like you're still in the midst of um, helping employees to to manage that stress or to have to work through the challenges that could lead to lead them still to burnout or or put put them still on the edge of getting into burnout. We are still dealing with it almost daily. It, more on the you know the more the middle management is where I see it the most, or they're more prone to suffer from burnout. But it, the the reality is it's still there. Uh, we put some cultural guidelines and what we call rules in place in order to ensure that staff was really um, enjoying a work-life balance that they should. Um, because at one point, I was just so many employees were, were telling me how burnt out they were. And I realized, you know, they even though you give them all the guidance and the advice that you can, they actually weren't going to take it. Um, you know, so I had to go and say, hey, what can we do to actually put some boundaries in place when it comes to hours that we work, when it comes to when we meet, how often we email and when. So we had to put those parameters into place and uh, it really proved very beneficial for us. And one of the reasons why I say that is because if you've had that colleague that that emails you at you know eight or nine p.m. at night, and then you feel like you need to respond, so we had a lot of that going on, whether it be 
you know, uh, Monday to Sunday, you know, and, and staff never feeling like they could truly just connect because they felt like they had to keep up with that. Um, we put parameters in place that says you can only email between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. And, um, you know, we you can only meet between 9 and 12 and 1 and 4, and we don't meet on Fridays because those are your desk days. Those are your catch-up days. And that proved really beneficial to us because then, everyone was on board. No one was on the weekends worried about, you know, hey, my boss is working. I should be working. If this person's working, um, you know, they're my competition at work. I need to step up and start working. So everyone's on the same page and you can now enjoy your evenings and your weekends with no back thought to whether or not, you know, you're, you're, you're stepping in when you need to be or that you're going that extra mile because everyone's underneath the, the same structure and boundaries. And I really love that. And I think out of a lot of the things that came out of that virtual um, and learning how people were burning out because they were just working harder and longer. Um, what the ability to work at remotely did was um, we just worked all the time, nonstop. You could work day, night, you know, you could work through your lunches, you may not eat, <laughs> you know, employees were just telling me all kinds of different stories about their work days. And I just thought, oh, shoot, well, we need to really, we need to take charge um, of this for them. And we have to lead by example from the executive team, you know, so uh, we were really excited about doing that. And it's, it's worked really, really well for us. And, and I can tell you the staff, they're very appreciative of that. I, I loved when you, when you first told me about this, I just love what you put in place there to give people, there's multiple things you just talked about there that are so impactful. Like you, you talked about them really fast, but I want to emphasize how huge those changes are for your culture and your people, because I think oftentimes organizations will underestimate the impact of those small uh, systemic changes that you can change your system or your structure in a way that can create massive change and, and have a really positive impact on your people. And so, you know, I love the dedicated hours for meetings so that employees can have time to do that focused work, can, can have their head down and not be disrupted and not have to stop in the middle to go to a meeting, but really know when meetings are going to occur and have a limited amount of time for, for those meetings. There were, there were days in my past where I used to have meetings from the very beginning of the day to the very end of the day with zero breaks. And ultimately we know from neuroscience and the research that's been done that that decreases productivity, decision-making effectiveness, and a host of other performance metrics. So what you've done is really optimize that performance of your people and done it in a way that changes the choices that they have to make rather than expecting them to have to make the choice. I think that's where, I don't know if you agree, but a lot of organizations miss the mark is they tell people don't email at night or they tell people, you know, don't have so many meetings during the day, but it's hard for people to change their behaviors with just willpower. It's much more effective right. when like the entire culture system changes. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what I saw. I, it's, we all have to be in it together to do this, you know, it just, one one department deciding that they maybe would put some boundaries in place wasn't going to work because then you would still be getting emails from someone else. And we even went as far as to just educate on on how to do meetings more effectively, too. And we went from, you know, that that hour long meeting to a 45 as a standard, because what was happening, too, is you were going from one meeting to the next. You had no time to take a break in between. And uh 
it, you, you know, you were just burnt, like you said, meeting to meeting to meeting. So, you know, let's, let's get what we need to get done in 45 minutes so that you have 15 minutes to decompress, but get ready, prepared for your next meeting too. So there were, in addition to that, there were other little tweaks that we've had to make and we continue to make them anytime that we see an issue, we call it out. We're very honest about it and say, okay, this isn't working. And I think that's one of the big things um, that I do in HR here at the credit union is, is I'm willing to try things. If they don't work, then we should unwind them. We should look at them and see how we can improve it and or change it or modify it. And we've had to do that a couple of times, but um, each time we've made an improvement um, that's really helped benefit somebody, especially with their work-life balance. I mean, you can't, you can't replace that for anyone. So tell me, I'm curious with the 45 minute meetings, did you find that they were still as effective? You were still able to accomplish as much that you were just taking up more time before or or what, how, how did you adjust to, I guess, that change? Yes, they, they're still effective. I mean, we, we talked to them about, you know, simpler things that could be done, like making sure you have an agenda and sticking to your agenda and having someone, you know, uh, lead the meeting so that you're you're staying on track, you're staying on task, and someone paying attention to that kind of that 15 minute warning. You know, um, this meeting is going to conclude soon. I think we just needed a little bit more structure into what we were doing. We were meeting, having really really great meetings because um, a few years ago we were an organization that never met, and um, which was really interesting because we needed to meet, but we we only met. Um, a couple of departments only met uh, maybe once a month. And the second the staff, was, it was amazing to watch this because the second the staff was given that uh, autonomy to meet, I just, my calendar just started filling up with meetings after meetings after meetings. But it was great to see people wanting to collaborate because they they saw how important it was and and how the the company was lacking by by not by not collaborating by just emailing or, or having conversations in passing. So once we started those meetings, uh, we were we were new to it, right? So they needed some education on how how you hold an effective meeting too. So we really dug in and said, okay, you know, what is a what does an effective meeting look like? You know, how long are they? What can you get done? in this period of time. So we've, we've had to make those tweaks and take those opportunities to educate along the way. Um, but it's been a great learning experience. And each time, like I said, we come out, we come out stronger and better from it. We are getting a lot of, we were getting a lot of things done, which is why people want to meet. If I can just get somebody's time for 45 minutes, I can get this done. We didn't want to take that away from the staff, but we just said it would be nice if you had that little break in between your meetings so that you're not, you know, you're not in meetings from the beginning of the day to the end of the day. And then you look at your, which is what I was hearing. They would look at the clock and say, I didn't eat today. I said, okay, well, you need to eat. You need to hydrate all those things. So we just are helping them do that. I love how that has an effect then on the overall effectiveness, right, of the organization and the individuals and what they can accomplish because they understand what those boundaries are. They understand what the expectation is. And so and so there's not a consequence to it. There's not a consequence to, you know, especially with the emailing, to not responding at night um, to to an email that comes. And and by limiting those that emailing, and I think there's a lot of credit there to your executive team that you talked about setting that standard. Uh, my husband just went to work for a new company. And for years, our past culture was, you know, lots of, you know, you respond all the time, 24-7 kind of 
kind of thing. And so he was responding to emails in the evening and, and his new boss said to him, like, if you respond to one more email at night, like I am going to cut you off. Like you cannot keep doing that. And it was such a surprising response and refreshing. Um, and his response to me was like, oh, I know I'm in the right place now. Now I know I'm in a really good organization. <laughs> and and so I can see how, even though those things are so small, like the, the impact, do you, do you feel like it's helping with employee engagement, retention, you know, reducing turnover, those types of things? Well, yes, we're sending the right message to staff, which is that we care about them first and foremost before we care about the bottom line. Yeah. Whether or not, you know, someone works an hour or less a day because we've cut off their meeting time didn't matter to us because the productivity is still there. It's still proven to be there. And the, and the staff is much more happy. And I think that that's the most important factor um, when, when you're looking at how to keep someone engaged. You know, it's if they think that you know, it's profits over people. And we just think, you know, you know, working everyone as long as we can is really not the way to go, obviously, in, in any and all cases. But the message that we're sending to them is that we care about them. And we've we've heard their we've heard their concerns, too. You know, they they come to me or they come to, to anyone else in, in the company and say, you know, I'm stressed. I'm, I'm burnt out. You know, the amount of people that would come and say that to me, you know, really pulls on the heartstrings. You know, how, how can I really help? Um, not only just this employee, but all employees. So like you said, it levels the playing field. There's no competition. There's no consequence. And, and that's how that's how it should be. How do you feel like that has progressed as you've had people in and outside the office? Because you said you've got some that have stayed remote, but there are some that are still physically in the office. How have these practices and, and maybe any other practices you've implemented impact your ability to maintain that engagement, maintain that culture, despite being in two different places? I uh, We were used to getting together a couple of times a month and in a, in a setting. And um, so the first couple of months, it was, it was really different, you know, because I think people suffered from just that physical disconnect and we had to learn how to have relationships, working relationships with people um, over the internet, right. Over video. And we weren't used to that. And um, some people aren't comfortable being on camera or they're, you know, maybe they're just not great communicators over over the Internet lines, you know. So it caused, that in itself caused a tremendous amount of stress for, for people, too. So how could we keep it going? We really had to look at what could we do to stay engaged with each other? But how could we do that virtually? And we did a couple of really, really neat things during this time was we implemented a peer-to-peer -peer recognition software that is where a system where you can give employees points and they can redeem those in for for experiences or for cash or for gift cards but the gist of it is is it's it's recognizing your peers on a global stage on this same website that everyone goes to and they can see you know that Paul sent some points to John, because he helped him out um, with something that was, you know, maybe it was a computer issue or something like that. So we were keeping the praise and recognition all in one place, but we were giving people an opportunity to do that, but also keep it on a global stage where, where everyone can see that. So it was a way for us to 
stay connected. And the staff, they I can tell you, they love that. They love that feed where they can go down and look and see who's been recognized today and for what. And then they can go in. And if they like the post, it's it's a high five to them. And then they give that person some points for the high five. But it was a way for us to collaborate and stay connected virtually. And I and it just couldn't have came at a better time. We were looking at it ahead of time, but when things happened in the whole, we went to a flexible work arrangement uh, program structure, we implemented this just right at the right time because now you get, it's integrated with Slack too. So you get, you can get that notification on your phone too. And I can't, I can't tell you how much staff just loves doing that, but that was one neat thing that we did to try to bring everyone together um, over, you know, the mix of, those that still had to come into work because we have members that we're serving and 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 there's still those people that will always have to come into the office but how can they can stay connected with me you know because they may only see me once a month or or once every quarter this is a good way for us to stay connected and they and they love it and and we're bringing everybody in on it too which is great it's not just you know someone sending me an email or i sending them an email you know congratulating them on something this is uh on a stage where everyone can see. Of course, you can make it private if you want, but the public recognition just goes so far. It goes so far and staff loves it. And I think it's probably one of the coolest things that we have. So I love that. I'm I'm curious about a couple of things with it. You know, how did you first get people using it? And did you implement it actually like in the midst of the pandemic or at the beginning or or when did you when did you kind of put it in place? We launched it in 2020, so okay. we, we had it in the works. I had learned about it at an HR conference that I went to, and I thought, this is really cool. I need to look into it. And um, so we launched it in 2020, which was great um, because by March, of course, we were all at home. And um, so, again, it worked out really perfectly. Uh, it was on the docket to already do. We just moved it moved it up in time because it was it was one of those things where we were looking for ways to keep people engaged. And we also have an employee engagement committee uh, called Hype. They're the hype of the company. And they were doing all kinds of fun things virtually, um, escape rooms, you name it. They, they really went above and beyond to try to come up with things to keep us all connected and to have fun. This was just another thing we were able to do. So we, we used um, employees and members of the hype committee to be like our our, our testers and our ambassadors, you know, hey, could you go out and send some recognition to, to get people using it, um, get them comfortable with it. So we had to get some buy-in of, of some employees first to kind of be the the models in using yeah, the, the it. And first, that really the first us. ones to go with it, right? right? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So did you, so what is it called? What is this software or what do you, what is it that you're using? What is it called? It, it, it is through, it's powered by Work Tango, okay. and um, you can name it, it'll create like a customized, if you create a customized name, they'll create a customized um, web address for you. And we ran a contest for staff to name it. And um, because our, our credit union is based off of um, Union Electric, and which is now Ameren today with the electrical company roots. We use power, the word power in like almost every program that, that we do. We have a lot of what we call power programs. So uh, the staff ended up naming it Power of Applause and we love it. They love I it. Love so that's that. what it's called, Power of Applause. Mm-hmm. So so one of the things I observed is early, early on in the pandemic, 
when, you know, I think lots of organizations did different, you know, challenges and things like you talked about. And there was um, actually like an uptick in engagement. If you look at Gallup's metrics, I know we experienced this in my past organization that engagement actually went up in 2020. And then it started to dip in 21, 22, and now 23. We continue to see it slide um, right. back down for the first time in a in a long time. And I'm curious, you know, how you were able to ma maintain that activity level, or how you've been able to maintain that um, as kind of the newness wore off, and as mm -hmm. the the that experience that you know that initial like response where everybody kind of banded together. Now over many years, as you've remained kind of in this hybrid scenario, how have you kept the momentum going right. on the, on this? That's a great question. And I was thinking about this too, on how we keep these, these things fresh, right? These programs fresh or, or whatever it may be at the credit union, because it's an ongoing thing to keep staff engaged. I actually look at the reporting so I, I can go into the system and see how, how often people are using the software, how many points they're sending. So that's one way for me to see, is it going up or is it going down? And then maybe it's a case where, you know, I can get the leadership team on board to be like, hey, just remember, get out there and start sending points out and recognition to other staff, you know, and, and keep keep it going. But one other thing that we do, too, is that um, you can we can award you points by incentivizing you to do certain things. So, for instance, we have um, within it where you can go for a walk in the park and redeem for 20 points. You can read a book and get an extra 50 points. You can go visit a, a national monument and get 100 points. So, um, and those we can change up. So we change them up periodically to, to keep people engaged too. So, you know, for instance, it'll say, uh, eat a healthy meal, or uh, I did 30 minutes of exercise and say they can redeem that maybe once a year or they can redeem it once a month. There are certain intervals that they can. So we try to go in and change those things to keep staff like, oh, there's a new one out there. I'm going to go and do this. But it also gets them doing things that are fun, gets them doing things that are important for their health and their well-being or just doing things that are good for other people, too. So we try to really um, make that fun, but also make it where they feel a sense of accomplishment for those things too. So that's one way we keep it going and we can, and it's a great tool to have that incentive through there. I love the, the gaming of that and the gamification <laughs> of challenges and other types of, of things and new things popping up. So people are kind of more in, inclined to like look at it and try to do some of those new things. And I love how it relates to their overall well-being too. So then again, mm -hmm. I feel like once again, if I were an employee in your company, that would make me feel cared about that okay, like I get points for doing something that's good for me. It's not like I just get points if I deliver my, you know, work on time or, you know, things like that, but to actually have it be things that are, are, you know, can, can make my life better, help me. That's huge. They, they right. have you seen that play out in your, do you do an engagement survey or some type of survey? Have you seen that play out in terms of, of, you know, the, mm -hmm. those scores or the results that you get? Yes. I mean, we've, we ended up winning top workplaces in 2020. It, the uh, the software, the Power Plus software too, also has uh, poll surveys that we can send out every quarter, so we can collect consistent feedback. So, and that's important to do. I really think it is because, like you said, it, it can, like you said, once it's not new anymore, 
um, then we have to reinvent. We have to come up with something else. Um, so yes, we have seen it play out. We've seen our efforts translate. So when we're doing great things for the staff and putting together great programs for them that really show them that we care, our surveys are elevated, that engagement level is elevated, um, our recognition, whether it be in the form of an award or what may, whatnot, it's 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 definitely on display because the staff, you know, they respond to that too. So, um, and one other thing I could mention about that software too is that um, when you redeem it on the experience side, like you can go in and just say, you know, I want to cash in points for cash on my payroll check, or I want to get a gift card to Amazon. But um, you can redeem it for experiences too, so uh, you can leave. If you want to cash in some points to leave early, to come in late, if you want to have coffee with the CEO or have him take you to lunch or meet with the executive team, there's there's so many other different things that, that we you can do too with it, which I think is really great because um, not everybody wants the money, right? So the gift cards are great. And then you can also donate it to charity, which people love too. You know, so That's what I loved about the software is that it hits every almost every point that you could think of what somebody would need. And and that's the biggest challenge about implementing any kind of engagement activity or program, which is I can't be everything to everyone. You know, how can I satisfy the entire workforce? And that's really hard to do. That's a big challenge for an HR um, professional. So I think this this does a good job of really hitting on all the points. So you've done, it sounds like just a tremendous job. I love the things that you've put in place. You and I talked before, I, I think you have a, a a creative and a intellectual mind when it comes to, to talent management and the challenges in the space. What do you see as some of the biggest challenges you're, you're either facing right now or going to be facing over the course of the next year? Um, what do you see out in front of you that you are you know, thinking about or trying to, to strategize around to figure out how best to address? I think we have to focus in on professional and, and self-development for staff. Um, I see now more than ever that people, they want to grow, um, but they want to have a job that has a purpose, you know, and they're purpose-driven more so than just, you know, coming in, doing A, B, C, and D, and leaving when they truly have a say in the company, they have a say in what they do and they, they have a say in what we do, um, they're more engaged. But what I've learned is that people truly want to, they want to do more, they want to do better, they want to learn, they want to grow. Um, we know that the war on talent really elevated salaries probably beyond um elevated those ranges probably beyond where they should have been, right? And wages are sticky on the way up. So you have to be careful about, you know, meeting those 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 demands when the war on talent talent was going on. So try to find other ways to retain staff if, if that's not in your wheelhouse. And one way to do that is by giving the staff opportunity to grow and develop. When you hire someone, you're making an investment in them. Um, so why not? Why not? It, you know, anyone that has the ability to learn is going to want to do more. Um, and why not teach them? You know, a lot of companies look at the boomers and succession planning is really going to be something that's a reality for, for a lot of companies. Are we prepared for that knowledge to walk out the door when they retire? And I can tell you a lot of companies probably aren't prepared for it in the way that they think they would be because that skill 
you know, goes with a person, if, if we're not teaching, you know, and mentoring someone else along the way, which is why I love our mentoring program and, and the efforts that we do um, to de develop focused plans on employees and really, you know, trying to see the best, best in everyone. You know, we meet quarterly and we go over the talent of the organization and we talk about how, um, how we can grow each and every individual in the organization. And I think that's really important because if you're if you're not getting together and talking, you know, about your staff as far as what what their attributes are, you know, you might be really missing somebody that could really bring forth a positive contribution to the organization. So I think that's very important. But for me, it's 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 giving those opportunities for professional development and really making them happen, even if it's something small. Um, if there's a will, there's a way and the company can come up with things to to develop people. Um, no matter what level of the position. You just have to really get creative with it at times. <clears throat> yeah, and I, I think I think you make such a good point there on the value of development and and understanding that development can look a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to be necessarily like technical skill development, although it can, um, but that there's a lot of different elements, I think, sometimes that organizations forget um, or, or or aren't thinking of um, those, those, different, those different pieces. And that kind of comes into play with what you talked about with retirement of, um, you know, the, the, the boomer generation and that one of the things I've observed is that maybe we overlook, it's not so much the technical skills or even the, the like customer, you know, knowing customers or knowing how to do certain things. It seems as though ultimately we're able to transition that knowledge. Um, but the experiential knowledge of just how to interact with people of uh challenges that come up periodically um it's that that level of emotional intelligence or that level of understanding you know that you develop over the course of your career it's more that that kind of walks out the door um mm -hmm. that ability to maybe mentor and develop others some of those types mm -hmm. of skills that um if you're not consciously developing your next layer of of leadership or managers or even individual employees to to be able to carry that forward or to be able to do that it, that seems to be maybe the the lacking piece has that been your experience mm -hmm. as well yes exactly it's that institutional knowledge you know um and you're right the experiences that they've gained are are just very commonplace to them when they encounter them think about somebody that you know, doesn't have 15 years of dealing with that same exact scenario or a version of it. Um, if they're not trained or mentored, they're not going to know how to do it. You know, and then at that point, it could create stress and strain on the organization because then there are other people that that have to get involved to, to try to help out in those areas. Um, when really, if you have a good solid mentoring program and you start that early on um, with those that, that are showing the promise and, and the want to be leaders and develop, um, get them in and get them going. You know, it's, you know, even if it's, you know, getting them to webinars and conferences, you know, job shadowing, whatever it may be, there, there's little things that you can do and there's grand things that you can do um, to try to develop people. But um, you have to start somewhere, which is what's important is the actual starting to do it, because you'll find yourself in a position where that institutional knowledge is gone and then you're kind of scrambling. Um, and that's, I think some companies find themselves in that. And, and I've seen it, you know, um, 
within the industry just because um, this is a great industry to work in. And then we have lifers, you know, that have worked 20, 30 plus years, you know, um, but they've also worked at the company long enough to mentor and mentor and train um, their replacements too. So it's just one of those things that you can't really put on the back burner. It needs to be a priority. The succession planning does. <clears throat> so what is, what do you think is some of the hardest part um, or parts about doing that development or getting that development in place for your, for your people? What are, what are some of the hurdles towards accomplishing that? Well, if you're looking at succession planning, they're, they're usually um, someone that's in a higher level position, right? They've, they've probably been with the company for a long time. They're a high performer. They may not necessarily have the, the time, you know, or the, the desire to, to want to, put forth the effort to, to train a replacement or, or to bring someone up along the ranks. You really do have to have an innate desire to want to coach and teach and mentor someone. Um, you have to get excited about it. Um, I tell the people on my team that everything I know, I'm going to teach you because I have, there, there is no purpose in me keeping that information to myself. You know, um, why would I want to do that? I, I want you guys to grow. And so that when I prepare for my next role, you guys are ready to step in and you're ready to go. Um, but, but those in, in those positions where they are planning to exit, they have to take that same mindset um, that it's time and effort to mentor someone, you know, it's, easy to just continue to do the job and not teach anybody and just take on more and more and more, right? That's the easy part. It, it actually, it's time and effort that you have to put into to mentor and to coach and train and develop. So that willingness has to be there. So you have to have a strong executive team that says, this is a priority for us. And um, like, for instance, with our mentoring program, you know, we, we said we committed to, we are each going to mentor one person a year. You know, we're going to put that in place where we're going to mentor somebody a year. You know, there's, you know, whoever that we've deemed either wants to be in the program or someone that we have vetted and said they should be in the program. But we're going to do 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 one a year. So we, we make a commitment back um, and we track that. And 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 if at the end of the time, if there still needs to be more time, then we keep going or we do a focused development plan or we hand it back off to that person's manager and say, OK, here's the things. Um, to still develop on, you know, it's, it's an ongoing thing. It, it never ends. We never stop learning. You know, I think, I think I love what you talked about with, with it's different. It's harder to teach. One of my favorite sayings is you don't really, you don't really know it until you've had to teach someone else how to do it. That, that, mm -hmm. that is really when you institutionalize that knowledge and you can really impart it to another. Um, that's kind of mastery. That's the highest level of, of skill set development that there is, is once you are at that level where you can actually train someone else mm -hmm. to do it. And so I agree with you. It's that that is definitely um, the hardest part about um, about a role is, is having to transition. It's easier to just keep doing it yourself mm -hmm. for sure. Right. Well, I, I love everything that you've shared with us here, Ashley. It's so powerful. All the work that you guys are doing, um, all the progress that you you've made. Um, and it, and it really sounds like even though you're talking about those challenges moving forward, you've got that leadership buy-in and that plan in place that will help you to be successful in spite of, of those challenges or, or those hurdles that get in the way. 
As we wrap up today, are there any final thoughts that you have um, that you want to want to share with the audience or any final um, words of wisdom you want to share? Yeah, I think from an HR perspective um, and for HR professionals out there, um, don't be afraid to to get creative and to to challenge norms in HR and and to really step out of that comfort zone. You know, if there is a certain way that we've operated and function over the years, and there's a reason for that. Um, but the reward that comes with stepping out and getting creative and really putting those people first um, is just what it can do and the way it can transform your company is so important. And be culture driven. Um, make sure you have a really defined culture and that everyone in the company is buying into that. And, and when you're looking to do things, whether it's a business decision or even a program that you're developing, look at it through the lens of the culture. And if it doesn't suit your culture, really question whether or not you should be doing it or not. Because essentially, you know, your culture drives everything and you're nothing without a great culture in place. And um, the staff, they want to know that they are, they're cared about and that their best interest, um, that the company has their best interests at heart and at mind. And um, just don't be afraid to just step out and, and do things that are different. Don't be afraid to shine in that way. And, and I think you'll, you'll see that it pays you back because your staff is, they're going to be um, loyal to you. They're going to stick around and, and your productivity is going to go up and your morale is going to go up and the, the awards that you're going to win are going to be there. And, and they're really going to appreciate everything that, that you do to show them that you care. Those are fantastic words of wisdom, Ashley. Thank you so much for coming on today. I think um, all HR professionals out there uh, should learn from you and learn from the um, you know, forward thinking and, and that willingness to, like you said, be creative, to think outside the box, to try things that are not uh, necessarily the way things have always been done. Uh, you might be surprised to see the effect or the impact that making those new and innovative and creative solutions can have on the business and on productivity and the results that you're able to achieve. It is not um, it is not for the faint of heart to make those types of changes, but the payoff is tremendous if you're willing to engage at that level and make uh, that amount of difference for your people and for your organization and for your culture. So thank you so much, Ashley, for coming on today to share uh, with us your experience and the amazing things that you're doing within your organization and the impact that you're having. We are, we are so grateful. And thank you again to all our, all our listeners. Um, as always, I like to wrap up our show and just remind you to just always keep evolving. <laughs>